0: It's perfectly fine. And I didn't miss anybody else that's there. I took off my glasses. I I uh, have pre- You probably heard me preach before. You heard me preach when I was not very good. Well, I'm still not very good, but uh, I do love to preach. Um, and uh, so I take off the glasses so that I don't get cap- captivated by someone. And I just uh, listen to what God has me to say. And hopefully that works. So... That's why I take off my glasses, and that's why I don't wear my contacts when I preach. So, uh, But thank you all for being here. Today is really special for me. Uh, it truly is a day that uh, when Tom and Jamie were in my youth group, I hoped would never come. Uh, I, I just uh, love doing youth ministry. Um, you'll see a couple of pictures a little later of some people. There's, Trish brought a couple of old scrapbooks. That, uh, from even the time when you were there, uh, we were looking at him this week when I pulled some of the pictures and, uh, just really enjoy some of the memories I have. Um, the second thing is I didn't want a lot of fanfare. So when Aaron asked about this, I said, I didn't want anything. I just wanted to fade off into the sunset. So, uh, which is, uh, uh which is fine. But, uh, uh, my prayer today is that while, uh, it's special to me and while it's, a uh, celebration day, uh, I hope for the next several minutes we, we truly think about God and give Him glory and honor. And uh, just as the song that we sing, the name above all names, worthy of all my praise, my heart will sing how great, how great is our God. I pray that that's the message today. 31 and a half years uh, ago, I started youth ministry February. I think it's actually uh, first day of March, but of 1989, 378 months 1,638 weeks. 21 weeks at church camp. So I didn't always go to church camp. 18 weeks on mission trips. Jamie, I, don't, I think maybe Tom. I, I don't think maybe Tom. Jamie, uh, first time when we ever went on a mission trip was there. Um, mission Arlington. 11,500 days in youth ministry. 276,000 hours. That's a long time. So step back with me. When I started. In 1989, as I mentioned at Fruit Avenue Baptist Church, the world was quite different, or so we think. We watched George H.W. Bush receive the presidential torch from Ronald Reagan. At the time that uh, he took uh, office, there was about 5.2 billion people in the world. Today, there's 7.7 billion. It's growing by 100,000 people a day. I wonder how many of those people may never have the opportunity that I had to hear about Jesus as a young boy. Two terms of Bill Clinton, two terms of George W. Bush, two terms of D- Barack Obama, and a half, a little over a half a term of Donald Trump. Babies born in 1989. I actually found something that Google cannot find. I searched for uh, uh, Christians born in 1989, and I got nothing. So I'll give you other people. Taylor Swift, Andrew Luck, he's now a retired Indy Colts quarterback, so I think it's okay for me to retire. James Harden of the Houston Rockets, Cam Newton, Anthony Rizzo, the Cub, Rory McIlroy, Joe Jonas, Elizabeth Olson, Candace Owens, she's a conservative political activist. I can't mention that name, uh, so I won't try it. Jordan Sparks, Rob Gronkowski, Chris Brown, Brie Larson. All those people could have, uh, were born about the time I started youth ministry. In 1989, some very famous people died. Salvador Dali, Hirohito, the emperor of Japan, Ted Bundy, Lucille Ball, and Betty Davis. John Grisham kept millions on the edge of their seats with his bestseller, A Time to Kill. At the movies, it was Batman and Dead, Man, Dead Poets Society. Some notable things happened for the first time in 1989. A heterosexual couple reported that they had contracted the AIDS virus. The world's first Spanish commercial was aired on American TV. And the first stamp dedicated to gay and lesbian Americans was unveiled. The former, former communist country, the USSR, saw free elections for the first time. In decades, and the USA tested its first stealth bomber. The massacre of Tinanem, how do you say it? This square. Uh, 140 countries banded together to eliminate the use of Agent Orange and mustard gas. The catastrophe of the Exxon Valdez oil spill. And on the 9th of November 1989, the Berlin Wall fell. Thirty-one years later, it's time to press on or move on. As we continue through this, this series on Philippians that Pastor Aaron has been taking us through, we get to chapter 3, verses 17 through 21, which i like to share with you for two reasons. Because one, it fits. For two, it's the next set of verses that we we're seeing in our passage. And I'd like to speak to you today about... Uh, um, What's the title of my sermon? <laughs> Is it back one? It's okay. It's okay. Um, principles of Ministry. It came to me. It's not there. I'm sorry. That's my fault. Principles of Ministry. So Principles of Ministry. What are some principles of ministry? We get. Go ahead, Logan. Sorry. We get to this verse, chapter 3, verse 17. And the Bible says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. When I first read this, I said, I, I, "I don't really like this verse, because Paul is saying, "Join in imitating me." That sounds a little egotistical or arrogant." But he's really not, because, as Pastor Aaron shared last week, he had just said, "I haven't arrived in Philippians 3:12 and 13. In fact, in Ephesians 3:8, he called himself "the least of all the saints." The reason why he says imitate me is because in this passage he's comparing himself to false teachers as he has throughout the book of Philippians. And, and so he's saying pick a good example to look at. I want you to note also about this, this, this uh, verse statement, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. It's a command. He's saying do this. It's not like, maybe you want to think about doing this. It shall do this. You should do this. The word um, here for imitating is where we get our English word for mime or mimic. The idea here is that you watch and you implement what you've seen. James Baldwin said children have never been good at listening to their elders or their parents, but they've never failed to imitate them. So that's what Paul's saying there. In fact, in the next chapter, he says, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. So that's what Paul's talking about there, is imitating someone good. The word keep, the word keep there, it means continually. Make it a habit. Keep looking at examples. Keep looking at uh, people who are godly. He says, keep your eyes or that word is from uh, Scopio. It's a word we get microscope or telescope, where we're zooming in on something that we really want to see. It means to spy it out. The word for example in this verse means more than just watch and see. It means that that example is going to leave an imprint or a mark, Some, something like a, a punch in the face where you get a blow and there's a, something left for you to see. That's what we ought to be looking for people. That's what a minister ought to be trying to do is to leave an example that puts a mark on people that they'll never forget. And that's what Paul was saying. And in other words, don't just watch, but it's so critical to get a mark that's left on you. Who's left a mark on me? Aaron kind of challenged me a little bit and said, think about some people who put a mark on you who've been examples for you in ministry. Seven people come to mind. I hardly remember very little of what they said. But just as that said, I remember about the mark they left on me. I remember their character. The first one I'd bring up is a guy named Kyle Skartwood. So, uh, as on the 31 years of ministry, about half of that time I found an extension of my ministry coaching different sports. It started with girls' basketball, actually, with softball, girls' softball. girls basketball and then i got pulled over because i like to run into cross country and track well kyle scart would have known since uh, probably about 2004 or so and he's he was a hope christian uh, track and cross country coach uh, all this time until this spring and uh i've had numerous runs with him and one of the impressions he had for me was he always just passed ideas back we're run for for miles and miles and miles and just someone who who would want to hear it, and it was someone who wanted to be better. He wanted to be better. And so every time I had to preach, uh, he got my practice sermon while we were running. He didn't get this one, so it's probably not that good. But he was just someone who listened and someone who shared. Second person I thought about was my dad. Why? Why my dad? Well, because he always worked to make our life better. He always tried to do side work. He was totally committed. I don't ever remember him calling in sick. He was committed. He also taught me about tithing. It was a strange way that I learned about tithing was I was in college and uh, uh, we grew up. We weren't. We didn't have a lot of stuff and um, I was in college and one day uh, my dad came and said, uh, and Glenn, he probably never gave you this, but he gave me an allowance. Uh, he started giving me $20 a week. Well, I think it was a God thing because that week uh, the pastor at Fruit Avenue had asked me to give a testimony on tithing. Well, I hadn't tithed. I didn't have any money. And so when I started to study the Scriptures, I realized that that $20 that I was getting was God's provision for me. That's how I started tithing. was just because that simple thing where God put two things together. So my dad taught me about tithing. The second thing he taught me, one time he read Scripture in church. Uh, back in the 1970s, you would come in and you'd ha- say pull out your Bible, you open your Bible, you wait for people to push the passage and get there. You'd hear all the paper moving. Some of us are shaking our head. We remember that. Uh, uh, but my dad just got to the microphone and he blurted out what he had to say, what he, was, what he wanted to say about Scripture. And the Scripture that he came about was the Pharisee and the, the sinner in the prayer. And where the, the sinner ends up saying, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. And that's always been ringing for me. So whenever I've led, I've always said, God, be merciful on me a sinner. Try not to be so arrogant. Two ladies in my youth years, we didn't really have youth ministers. Um, Our church uh, had probably about a youth group of about 15 or so. We'd occasionally get a summer youth minister. One year, I remember we had a music youth minister. But by and large, week after week, week after week, commitment to Bible study came from two women, June Tidenberg and Miriam Widener. Where were the men, I thought, when I was thinking about this? Where were the men that whole time? I wonder. Then uh, Dr. Claude Cohn. Long before I came to Monterey Baptist Church, I saw someone who was always encouraging, trying to live as Jesus did. He, he was there when I was ordained as a deacon in 1989. He was my seminary professor for a few classes. He provided several books in my library, Um, that we have at home several several books i've had there we went on a mission trip in 2002 to thailand and he led adults we there was a group called the buddy block the set of missionaries in thailand and malaysia and i think india was in there at the time and uh cambodia anyway went to the buddy block and they came together for their uh their annual meeting where they met and dr cone led the adults and me and six other youth went up into a uh, a, a room, and we led 40 kids, uh, missionary kids, in a week-long Bible study. Um, but he always showed that commitment um, time after time. Um, he always thought before he spoke. And the verse that comes to mind with me is James one nineteen, where he said, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Dr. Cohn, he has been to me, Jesus, many times with skin on a guy named Richard Lannis. Uh, Glenn's probably the only one that knows that name. Richard Lannis. Uh, in the scrapbook out there, Jamie, the scrapbook you gave, there's my favorite verse. Do you remember it? You probably don't. Philippians 2, three. each of us should look not to our own interests, but to the interests of others. That's what I got from Richard Lannis. A guy of generosity. I have no idea where he is today. My mom, unconditional love. One time, uh, we had our house broken into six or seven times when we were growing up. And, um, our windows weren't very good. You could just move the window and get in. Well, uh, one day I left my keys, and I had moved the window and got in. The next day, uh, um, the next day we got broken in. Someone moved them, obviously saw me, moved the window, and broke in and took some stuff from my house. And my dad confronted me, and I said, I didn't do it. Um, and uh, he said, well, this is your shoe, and on the back, it was muddy. He said, this is your shoe print going to that back window and coming in. I said, I didn't do it. But a little later, I told my mom, yeah, dad's right, I did it. She didn't say anything but just love me. Unconditional love from my mom. And a guy named Mark Jones, never judgmental, listened and allowed me to come to the conclusion um, that I needed to. He just would listen. He, he served twice with me at Taylor Ranch, 100% support. I could come to him anytime, burdens, heavy laden, or weary. And he would always say, when I throw up a uh, suggestion, he'd always say, if that's what you think God wants you to do, then do it. And he let me do a lot of stupid things. (laughs) But it's okay. Those people made a mark on me, an impression on me. They were the example that I needed. And that's what my goal has always been, is to be an example for other people. Think about the words I read for those people. Characteristics of Christ come out. They listened. They were committed Think before you speak. Put others before yourself. Unconditional love and come. That's exactly what Paul's talking about here in this passage. He's saying get examples that are going to lead you to Christ. A minister's example first is one that imitates Christ. Imitates Christ. I could list for hours what imitating Christ really means. Because Paul, he actually did imitate Christ. He said somewhere else uh, in the scripture in Ephesians, he said... Uh, that he wanted to imitate Christ. What does it mean to imitate Christ? I picked three simple words. Three simple words. The first one is seek. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. Go ahead, Aaron, uh, Logan. Boom. Seek. Go. That's what Jesus did. He came to seek people. That's what we ought to do. We ought to seek people. The second word is serve. Serve. When I think about Jesus, I think about one who serves. You can think about when he washed the disciples' feet. But I, I think of Mark ten forty five, when he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. That's what a minister ought to do. He ought to serve. And finally, uh, he ought to sacrifice. He ought to sacrifice. In Mark fourteen thirty six, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, Abba, Father... He said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus was about to sacrifice his life. And I often think about that as he was in, uh, on earth as a human and going through there, knowing that he was going to the cross for my sins, for your sins. What, 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 what was he thinking? Did he have doubts? Did he have second thoughts? Was he thinking, can I find a way out of this? I think at the end of the road, when he looked back, he said the sacrifice was definitely worth it. The sacrifice was definitely worth it. For me, 31 years has been a sacrifice. Uh, Looking back, but what a blessing. I wouldn't have done anything different. It wasn't only a sacrifice for me, but for my family. A very vivid memory I have, uh, Jamie, you, you can remember this, Savannah was a month old. And I climbed in an old beat-up van with about 12 students and we drove to Denver, leaving her home behind with three preschoolers. Taking my vacation year after year to go to camp and to mission trips. We didn't have vacations when, we were, when our girls were young. Trish was home with three girls and sacrificed a lot. No vac- vacations. I'd come home a weary husband. She sacrificed in many ways. I will never know. So... And special part of today is understanding that sacrifice. I have this nice set of flowers for my beautiful wife. William Barclay puts this verse this way. I love the way it sounds. Brothers, unite in imitating me and keep your gaze on those who live as you have seen us as an example. That's been my prayer and ministry. Not only should a minister be an example and imitate Christ, a minister minister needs to invest in others. Go to the next slide, Logan. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. There's people that walk as enemies of the cross of Christ today. Many of them. And Paul's Paul's kind of comparing himself. He says, I'm not an enemy of the cross of Christ. In fact, I'm all in. A minister invests in others. Yesterday afternoon, David King, Levi... Uh, Dino, we invested in someone, didn't we? We helped move Maha's mom. That's what life's about, is investing in other people. Paul said, I have told you often. Why do ministers repeat things? Why do, why do we repeat things, Tom? Do you remember the two ways we re, why I repeat? Why? Two ways you learn. One is repetition, right? As You see, hit me. Repetition, repetition, repetition. The second's with your senses. Take them in. Well, here, Paul says, I've told you often. He's repeating things. Why do ministers, preachers repeat, repeat, repeat? Well, because when I mean, you hear it multiple times, it sinks in. That's how I memorize scripture. That's how I've come to maturity in Christ, although I'm not where I need to be, through that repetition. I remember years ago, I was at Intel in a safety class, and I heard the instructor said, people don't get things the first time you tell them. That's why even though you're supposed to wear your safety glasses, nobody wears the safety glasses because they don't get it for a long time. He, he had this hypothesis that it was 187 times. And I've always thought about that. I think about a child walking a baby when they learn to walk. How many times do they fall over before they finally get it? I've never looked to move from one church to another because I always believed I had to be a role model and invest often and over and over and over with the same people. I was there for the long haul. This verse gives us a clue about Paul's investment. It wasn't a one-time shot, but it was his investment required patience. It wasn't a one-time shot. I have told you often. This shows that investing requires patience. On March 24, 1989, about the time I started youth ministry, off the coast of Alaska's Prince William Sound, 11 million gallons of crude oil which at the time was the worst oil spill in U.S. history happened, the Exxon Valdez. It was, all, it was the largest spill until um, 2010 when the Horizon explosion occurred. 11 million gallons of oil spread in oil slick across 1,300 miles, killed hundreds of thousands of birds, otters, seals, whales. Now, 30 years later, there's still pockets of crude oil remaining. Most of it's gone. But 30 years later, there's still that there. Joseph Hazelwood, the captain of the Exxon Valdez, had been drinking at the time, and it allowed an unlicensed third mate to steer the massive ship. And on that evening, a few uh, minutes before midnight, um, it, it ran, it had the spill. The ship uh, struck, Blig Reef. I don't know if I said that right. But it was a known hazard in the Prince William Sound. The impact of that collision tore open the hole. That oil spilled. Some 30 years later, there still remains some oil stains. I think about my life, there's still some oil stains in my life. I'm thankful that people still invest in me. And I'm grateful that I got to invest in people over those years because slowly but surely, as we work together... We, we grew, and the sin stains went away. The oil went away. They're still there for us, and they will be there until the day that Christ comes back. But that's what patience is. That's what the minister should do, invest in patience. Second thing, second P word there, you knew it was a P word, is passion. Look what Paul says. He says, now even I tell you with tears, I tell you with tears, he had passion. What is passion? It's you love it so much that you want to do it. He had enough passion that he wanted to influence people away from being an enemy of the cross. Paul continually invested in the Philippians because he loved them. You think about people that you, we know that we invested in? Do we have passion for them? Levi, we're going to have to... Uh, Logan, I keep calling you Levi, but Logan, go ahead. Here's some things. These are some people that I've had passion for. Up here on the left side, these are some kids from Fruit Avenue, all inner city kids. One kid that's not there is Billy Jenkins. He played uh, when the St. Louis Rams won the Super Bowl. But these were the kids that I tried to invest in at Fruit Avenue. Dads, moms, not present. Only Trisha's Bronco, little Bronco, too, that we drove. I'd drive in their neighborhood and they'd come from behind the trees and jump on the Bronco and start shaking and trying to scare me. This is uh, Taylor Ranch, uh, early on, late 1980, 89, 90, on the top. Uh, Jamie, you're in one of these. Here's Tom. I think this is Tom. This is a Taylor Ranch at Inlow. This is at the Evangelism Conference. These are people I have passion with, and I still keep in touch with many of them. Michael Seaman is in there. Go to the next one. Logan. You see some of the groups throughout time. There's the famous cricket time up there to the right. We had a Bible study on things that uh, hide. We, we, we use as masks. Uh, these were all times we are going on trips. Go ahead, Logan. This is when we went to Denver up to the left. We worked in an inner city health clinic, did backyard Bible clubs. It's a civil's camp. This was in the 2000s, I believe, we we come back from mission work. Uh, I think we were up at Lindreth and the youth were getting ready to do uh, leading a worship service. Okay, go ahead, Logan. This is when we went to St. Louis in 2005. There, we're getting ready to go to St. Louis. Many of those people there. Megan Baum. Many of you know Megan Baum. She's standing next to the girl in blue. Stephen Baum's up here, right by the his arms going over the H and U-Haul. Many of you know this. Look at this, Levi. Andrew's here, I think, today. He's here. There's another group there. You'll see little Savannah right before we left. And then Austin and Andrew um, Erickson, a couple years ago when they won the state championship at Manzano football. Go ahead, Logan. Here's Trent, Christiana, and Logan, and Caitlin from today, and then the youth group when we were building the, the Waggerman, there they are. The people that I had passion with, people that, I, people that I loved and I wanted to invest in them because a minister who, who invests in people has passion for them. The last thing, go ahead, Logan. The last thing is Paul, when we talk about investing in others, Paul had a purpose in ministering and in investing in others. The book of 1 Corinthians tells us this. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like the one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak. To win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all means, possible means, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Paul had a purpose in ministering to others and that's to point them to Jesus Christ. Finally, the third point today is a minister. Let me tell you a story first. Uh, J.O. Sanders tells a story of Dr. John Getty, born in Scotland, he was a missionary called to the South Seas. He died in December of fourteen, December fourteenth, nineteen eighteen seventy-two. A tablet placed in, a, in Sydney, Australia, behind a pulpit in the church, uh, uh, from the Church of Anakahut on Anitayam, There's, there are uh, islands in the South Sea where he had preached. This is what's important. It said, in memory of John Getty D.D., born in Scotland in 1815, minister in Prince Edward Island, seven years, missionary sent from Nova Scotia to Antium for 24 years. When he landed in 1848, there were no Christians here. And when he left in 1872, there were no heathens. That was Paul's purpose. Finally, uh, today I'd like to talk to you about the power of influence, the third point here. The scripture here says our text says in verses 19 through 21 the end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Again he's talking about those false teachers but we'll come back to these things so make sure you got them because you won't see them on the screen when we come back to them. But their end is destruction. Their God is their their belly and they glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to even, even to subject all things to Himself. The power of influence. I know a little bit about influence. I mentioned Trisha a little bit ago. She, she, she had tremendous, tremendous influence on our kids, our three girls. Courtney, Taylor and Savannah. And in fact, I've seen the power of her influence in their lives over the years. I actually learned the power of influence from Trish. You see several years ago, toting three preschoolers along everywhere. Courtney was about four or five. Savannah was one or so. And we had been out shopping. As usual, when we go shopping, they go shopping, and I find a nice bench or a chair to sit down and relax and do things. And you know, they go with Mom, and I could see Mom and the three girls Just a lot of influence there going on. They do whatever is necessary. Uh, well, this one time it was like three or four hours. we must have been Christmas shopping or something, and I was starting to get worried because I had taken about at least four or five naps by that time, and so I went to search for them and uh, I found them at the checkout register and i was I was relieved because I was worried, and I saw that the clerk had reached out and, and given Three lollipops, one to Courtney, one to Taylor, and gave the one to Trish for Savannah because she was too little. Wasn't sure what the mom and Trish, as usual, really influenced our our daughters. And I I could see she was trying to influence them to be polite, uh, said promptly said to the girls, what do you say? And Taylor, with all the joy in the world, she said, charge it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's joke. That's just a joke. Some of you young guys don't know, but we, would, we, had the, we had the choice to write a check to give cash or charge. No, we just use that card, but that's okay. We all have influence. We're constantly influencing people. We're constantly being influenced by others. But what kind of influence are we? A good influence? A bad influence? What kind of influence are we? An unknown poet said, My life shall touch a dozen lives before this day is done. Leave countless marks for good or bad. Before this evening sun. This is the wish I always wish, the prayer I always pray. Lord, may my life help others it touches along the way. I want to offer you three things that determine what kind of influence we'll have. First, it's determined by our character. In the Sermon on the Mound, Jesus says, You are to be the salt of the earth, you'll be the light of the world. And he says, A city on a hill cannot be hidden. That's what he wants us to be, he wants us to influence the world. What should our character be? But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no love. Remember the song we used to sing? Fruit of the Spirit is not a watermelon. but The fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All those who belong to Christ Jesus have cru- crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, for we live by the Spirit. Are we influencing the world? Do they see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control in you and I? Not only is influence determined by our character, i got to speed up, I see the time. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, Bad company corrupts good character. So our influence is impacted by the, character, by the company one keeps. A farmer was fed up with a flock of pesky crows. He grabbed his shotgun, and he didn't see that his sociable parrot had joined the crows. And after a few shots, he went to see what he had hit. He found that prized parrot badly hurt. The farmer's children saw the injured bird and said, Dad, what happened? He said, the father father simply replied, our parrot was with bad company. Scripture often warns us to stay away from bad influences. It doesn't matter how old we are, how spiritual we are, or how strong we are. Influences impact our witness for Christ. In fact, Paul says in Romans 7, he talks about where I do the things I don't want to do. We have, a, we have a, an enemy that wants to, to influence us wrong. He's a roaring lion named Satan, and he's seeking who he could devour. He uses influence to accomplish his goal of destruction. William Barclay. As I hit the last point here, influence requires change. William Barclay tells a story about a boy changing signs. At the intersection of a road, one sign points toward the city of Seattle. Another sign points toward the city of Tacoma. That little boy wondered to himself, what would happen if I switched those signs? How many people could I send the wrong way? In our world today, it seems like someone has changed the signs. So many want to take the broad road that leads to destruction. Even though the narrow road is the right road. Your life is a very signpost. Are you sending people down the right road or the wrong road? Here's the table I, I promised you. Now I realize, go ahead Logan. Now I realize that Paul is talking about false teachers. But in my life of ministry, I also see these characteristics in students. In people who are lost. And so what I've done is I've taken the things that he had in Verse 19. And I've said, what's their activity? What's their destiny? What's their desires? What's their glory? What's their mind, their focus? And then I contrast it with what Paul says him as a minister was, or as the Christian, because really we're all ministers. And I came up with this. If you remember in that passage, it said, what is their activity? They are enemies of Christ. In fact, Matthew twelve thirty says, whoever is not for me is against me. So even if they're not actively trying to mess with us, if they're not Christian, they're, they're enemies of Christ, and they need to know Christ. So I saw students as people who needed to, to, to know Christ. Their destiny, what did that scripture say? It was destruction. It was destruction. I'm going to go ahead and go across the front, because that's the way I did my notes. Whereas a Christian, we should walk as Jesus walked. First John 2, 5, and 6. By this we know that we are in, in him. Whoever abides in him ought to walk in the same way Jesus walked. Their destiny's destruction. What's our destiny? It's home in heaven. Paul says in verse 20, our, our, our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, uh, R.W.D. Hahn of the Moody Bible Institute tells the story of a British officer, military officer, stationed in an African jungle. And he saw him one day in the officer's hut. He was surprised to see him dressed so nicely in the formal attire. He was in Africa, after all, but he was seated at a table beautifully set with silverware and fine china. Thinking the officer had lost his mind, he said, Why are you all dressed up? And why are you seated at this table so perfectly set up here in the middle of nowhere? The officer explained, Once a week, I do this. I follow this routine to remind myself of who I am. I'm a British citizen. I want to maintain my customs, my real home, and live according to the codes of the British conduct. I want to avoid substituting a foreign culture for that of my own homeland. That's what we ought to be as Christians. Even though we are here, we live here, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We should have those same concerns that our home, our citizenship is in heaven. Romans 12.2 says, um, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, perfect, and pleasing will. That's what we ought to do. That ought to be our desires, to be with Christ. That's what the British British, uh, military officer. But what about the enemies of the cross? They're satisfied by their appetite. The Bible said they're the God in their belly. What that really means is that they're driven by their appetites. That's what their God is. So we as Christians ought not be driven by the desires of the flesh, but really about being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Finally, their glory. The the scripture there said the glory was in their shame. Um, What does that mean? I had an uncle, and Glenn will remember this. I had an uncle years ago as a little kid. And uh, for some reason, we were talking about going to church or something like this. My uncle picked up uh, a beer can and he said, This is my God. That's really what I think it means. Their glories are shame. The things that they're after, right, are the things that should shame us as a Christian, right? If uh, you can think of many things, whatever you think of sin in your life, if I got up here and started. Proclaiming saying that that was a great thing, that would be the glory the shame is my glory. But where should my glory be? My glory ought to be in the cross of Christ. Paul says it in Galatians six fourteen says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord, Jesus Christ, by which the world is crucified to me and I to the world. Where is their mind on earthly things? That scripture passage said. For us, we, we should look to Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above which Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. In all the years of tried to ministry, I tried to walk with kids from here to here. I tried to take students that path to move from where we, we are without Christ to where we should be with Christ. What's the principle of ministry? Ministry. Ministers are here. And we're all ministries for three purposes. To imitate Christ. To invest in others. And to influence. As I come to this end of this chapter in ministry, I'm thankful that God has allowed me to serve so long with so many. I got to perform weddings. I got to be there to lead funerals for loved ones that had passed on. I got calls late at night and when some were in trouble. I got to minister to them. All those mission trips, my girls went on mission trips. I will never forget. Here's a list of some, and I know I'll miss someone. Dana Crocker, missionary to Thailand. Eddie Clark, missionary to Thailand. John, he came here. I, he was in my youth group six, six months. He came here one Sunday, and saw John, and he said, I'm looking for Robert Wright. This was several years ago. You never know what kind of influence you're going to have to someone. Michael Seaman started Trinity Life Church in Toronto. Why? Because Toronto is a place where people are migrating from the world. So the nations are coming there. He's, he has a church in the middle of that city. His sister Diane recently and her husband left their jobs in North Carolina to join their brother in that ministry. Stephen Baum, pastor of First Baptist Church, West Al- Albuquerque. Corey Jones, youth minister, First Baptist Church, West Albuquerque. Megan Baum was a missionary to Asia. She's now serving with her husband in a local church here. Andrew Young, First Baptist Church, Keller, Texas, youth minister. Brandon Harrison, campus minister, Second Baptist Church, Houston, Texas. T.J. Morrow, middle school minister in Park City's Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. And Jenny McCauley served several tours in, as a medical missionary in Africa. There could be many others. But you know what? It's not just those missionaries. It's not just those pastors. There's others. A guy named Luis Gutierrez, who worked for Intel. He's left since I left there. I couldn't find him. He told me he became an engineer because of the influence I had with him. Working with his school, um, uh, with science projects and things like that, there are teachers, engineers, business people, people who work for UPS, cops, lawyers. Many I don't know. My my prayer is that the time I infl- invested in them, the influence I had, would made a difference in their life. There's many that I missed. I know uh, there's some pictures up there of people I struck out with, but the story's still being written. What next? I will try to be like a guy named Ray. The Methodist recorder tells us about this guy named Ray. Some years ago, he was a young American student. He accepted a a tour as a foreign missionary. He's a great person, but he had difficulty mastering languages. The The native people found it impossible to understand him when he spoke to them. They couldn't understand his talk, but they could understand his walk. One day when, according to their custom, they were seated on the ground around one of their teachers, the question was asked, what is it like to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? Not one of them could answer. They just sat there in silence. Finally, one of them pointed to where the young missionary was seated and replied, it is to live as Mr. Ray lives. They could not read the gospel according to Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, but they could read the gospel according to Ray. Will you pray with me? Father God,